Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. I'm delighted to have with me in the studio today Dr. Liz Goodwin. Dr. Goodwin is the, until recently, CEO of the UK's Waste and Resources Action Program, RAP, an organization that has done a remarkable amount to reduce uh, waste within the UK, and she's the first ever director of food loss and waste here at the World Resources Institute and a senior fellow. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. We've been talking about your work with RAP. You have a wonderful annual report. It starts out with two pages of big numbers. Uh, for example, that uh, the food, the hospitality industry in the UK has saved an estimated 3.6 million pounds recently by reducing food loss and waste that RAP aims to reduce by 20% over the next uh, 10 years. What it's going to take to meet the UK food and drink needs. Um, I'm so excited that you're here with us because I think you're going to take these ambitions global, are you not? Well, I hope so. And I think what lies behind those is the fact that um, we try to develop evidence and then we try to measure things. And we also try to think about business cases because when you look at the hospitality sector, how did we get the hospitality sector to focus on reducing food waste and food loss? It was all about telling them how much money they were losing and therefore what they could save as a result of improving their practices, so becoming more efficient. And that's where you got the £3.6 million reduction. Just to put this in context, some previous work at WRI, for our listeners who may not be familiar with it, uh, suggests that if the energy and emissions associated with producing food that is ultimately wasted were a country, it would be the third largest source of emissions after China and the United States, and that the uh, cropland required to grow all that food is equivalent to the total land area of China. I find that just absolutely mind-boggling. It is. It is. It's astonishing. And I mean, just to give you the UK equivalent of that, the food loss and waste in the UK would require the land the size of Wales. So if you know, think about the, the picture of the UK, Wales is quite a big part of that. So it just shows again how, what an astonishing amount of food loss and waste there is, which is why it's so important to do something about it. Now, why does that happen? Presumably, ordinary economies would get people to not waste food. It costs money. Why are we throwing away so much food? Well, there are different issues in developing countries compared to developed countries. So in the developing countries, the issues are around the supply chain and sort of problems with storage and distribution and not being able to get products from the farm to, to the householder. In the developed countries, unfortunately, it's a problem with us as householders because we've become more affluent. Food has a lower, um, it, t it takes up less of our, our income to actually buy the food. And so we, we waste it um, because we can afford to. And I think also we've lost a connection with food. You know, people who grew up after the war, um, when there was food, food shortages, were very careful about food. Um, the, the generations now don't really know how to cook food. And so they, they are bombarded with sort of, oh my goodness, what do I do about these few things I've got in the fridge? Can I use them? Um, they're also very concerned about day labels. Um, so, you know, five to midnight, um, it, the food is fine to eat. As soon as it goes five minutes past midnight, got to chuck it away. So how did you go about creating change around these complex problems in the UK? 
Well, first of all, we identified the issue and the size of the issue, and we got a lot of detail about what were, where were the problems. So we knew that um, in the UK we wasted 1.7 million bananas every single day. Um, That's an astonishing number. 1.7 uh, million bananas every single day. What's also slightly astonishing is it was 190,000 chocolate bars every day, um, which is, you know, slightly bizarre, especially when you don't think that chocolate is going to have a a date in the same way as banana. Oh, and because it's so yummy, we all want to eat it well, if exactly. it's in front of us, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so, so understanding where the issues were, and also understanding why some of those problems happened. So the main reasons for food food waste from the household is um, most of it is because we buy too much and then we let it go out of date and we have to chuck it away because we can't use it in time. Um, and then the second reason is we cook too much, and so we then have leftovers and we again don't know what to do with it. So those two things together account for more than 80% of the food waste from UK households. So if we can tackle those two things um, by helping people to plan better, to, by giving people portion um, advice, then we can actually reduce food waste. And all the various initiatives that we did in the UK, working with the retailers in a massive piece of partnership working, we reduced um, food waste by 21% over five years. Now, the retailers, presumably, they have an incentive to get people to buy more than they need because it's for them, the more they can sell, the better, right? Well, I thought that. I did wonder whether we were actually going to be able to engage the retailers in this whole issue because surely if people waste less food, then they're going to buy less food. But I think there were two main reasons why they did get engaged. Um, first of all, once we had put the issue of food waste in the UK on the agenda, there was a massive cry from householders and from, frankly, from some other sort of lobbying organisations out there saying this is absolutely scandalous. The retailers have got to help householders reduce less food. So the retailers felt they had an obligation to so help they were under some pressure. They were under a lot of pressure. Um, but also they reckoned, and I think the evidence has proved correct, that by helping people to reduce the amount of food they waste, they will be able to get them to buy more expensive food in the shops. Oh, I see. So actually about half of the savings that householders make goes back into the retailers by people buying more expensive things. Well, of course, part of our broader food program is to encourage people to eat more plant-based foods and less meat. But if they're going to uh, buy more expensive things, presumably one of those more expensive things is meat. Well, that could be, that could be part of it, yes. And that's why the whole, I think, the, the work needs to be far more holistic. To, and, um, in fact, the WRO work on, on the Better Buying Lab is a great example of this. Um, because you can think about, OK, so how much meat is in your diet? Um, because, actually, a more sustainable diet is probably a healthier diet. And it's probably one which is going to have a lower impact on the, on the um, environment and, and have lower impacts on climate change. The other part of this, of course, is the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, I was a little bit before my time, but I understand WRI was uh, instrumental in getting a food loss and waste goal into the Sustainable Development Goals. It's goal 12.3, and then providing a, a protocol for measuring food loss and waste. And now in order to move that forward, you're a member of this Champions 12.3, mm -hmm. this group of individuals around the world who are championing the reduction in food loss and waste. You were telling me before uh, we started recording there now, how many members? 39. 
and you're aiming to grow we're, it. We're aiming to get to probably about 50 because there are some key gaps in the membership at the moment. If you look across um, all the issues of food loss and waste across the world and, and um, geographically and across different supply chains. So there are, there are a few gaps we need to try and fill. And what are you looking to the champions to do? Well, I, I think that it's, it's still quite early days for the champions. What I want them to do is they, they are the leaders. So I want them to um, motivate other people, catalyze action, and to actually help drive the whole um, reductions of, glo of global food loss and waste forward. Um, now, each of them has got a different, a very different background, and so they're each going to have very different roles. But what I want to do over the next few months is to build up a picture of where are those, those skills and expertise? What are they actually going to be doing? over the next year, two years, and therefore can we build a total picture that allows us to say, okay, so this is, these are all the activities that are going to go on across, across the world to reduce food loss and waste, and then we can monitor progress to actually achieving that, and they will ultimately help us reduce food loss and waste by half. Tell me about a member. Who are the members of this wonderful well, group? You've got people like Paul Pullman, who's the chief executive of, of Unilever, very influential um, company, um, able to influence people. Other um, organisations represented like Nestle. You've got a number of different governments. You've got organisations like RAP, um, who have got a lot of experience of actually tackling food loss and food waste, and and hopefully can therefore share share some of that knowledge. Um, You've got the Consumer Goods Forum, which is the 400 um, biggest retailers around the world. And if we can get them collectively to work on the issue and help householders and work with their supply chains, that will be really powerful. So there are corporates, are there civil society organizations as well? Yes, there are a whole range of those. So WWF, um, Oxfam America. Um, and even uh, Tristram Stewart, who's a um, founder of Feedback, which is a, a UK-based organisation, but they work globally and they do the Feeding the 5000 initiative. Um, and if I think back to the experience in the UK, it wasn't just the fact that we had retailers and government and RAP interested in all of this. It was about the fact we had this diverse um, range of different organisations, including Feedback, including some other NGOs and um, lobbyists and the media all creating a lot of noise. So it was a campaign, a movement, it a, really. It was a movement, yeah. yeah. And I think it was that diversity that, that really helped. That it, it meant it wasn't just parked off the side as, as a sort of side issue. Now, World Resources Institute is a think and a do tank. Uh, we're accustomed to you know, creating measurement systems, uh, online tools, proposing policy solutions. Um, although we're quite active in creating change, we're not generally an organization that one thinks of as leading a movement, whereas I guess RAP was, in fact, leading a movement. But you also had a very strong evidence orientation mm. there. Mm. So talk to me about this sort of the how you see the role of WRI in catalyzing what sounds like in order to be successful is going to have to be quite a broad social movement. Yes, and I think WRI and RAP are very similar and they both base things on evidence um, and, and measurement and then setting some targets and trying to come up with actions to, to, to move against those targets. Um, where RAP was instrumental was that it tried, it tried to think about, okay, so 
these are the issues, what are we actually practically going to do about it? So you can tell people you've got to reduce food waste. What are you practically going to help them to do to make it easy for them? And I think it was about developing that, that understanding. Now WRI has got a massive network and so therefore those, those loads of doors to try to open to have those conversations with. It needs a load of partners who are nuts and bolts merchants who will go in and actually help people to come up with the practical solutions. So I think that's, that's a model where WRI can use its skill base and its strengths um, backed up by some other others as well and there are lots of them out there. I was recently uh, in China, I spent a lot of time in China and earlier in my life, and I was struck to um, discover that the uh, cultural imperative to make sure as a host in a restaurant that there's lots of food on the table when your guests are done eating um, has not changed at all. What's changed is people have a lot more money and there are a lot more people doing this. I was at several very large restaurants where table after table after table um, as people were leaving, was there was enough there to have the same meal twice again. Mm. Um, the amount of food loss and waste as China has become rich, certainly in the restaurant industry, seems to me to be quite astonishing. Yes, and that's very worrying. And how do you tackle it? Do you To tackle it culturally is going to be very difficult. But are there other ways of trying to tackle it where... You know, um, th there has to be some solutions, don't there? I mean, whether... Whether or not you can then find that becomes a meal for somebody else. I mean, clearly, if it's um, if it's actually ended up on people's plates and is left, then it's it's less easy. You know, well, Chinese style is usually mm -hmm. left on a serving tray, so potentially, mm -hmm. although there's certainly but the same thing. Quite the same thing's it. true of people who go on cruises, and you know they have these massive buffets, um, and the buffet table is always full. It's never it never runs out of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I know some of the big hotel chains are, are thinking about some of those. So issues around um, buffets and and the food waste from from meals where there's massive overcatering. Yeah, in their case, of course, it's a cost-saving thing. If they can change that, they'll save some money. Yes, yes. So therefore, you need to find what is it that is going to motivate the the people affected. Um, and there are so many different motivators for food waste. You know, is it about the poverty? So the people who could have been fed. Is it about concerns about water scarcity issues around the world? You know, some of the some of the things that we waste most of are grown in areas where there is water scarcity issues. Are we? Is it about the land use? The fact we need an increasing amount of land to to grow um, crops, which therefore can't be that land can't be used for other things. Um, is it about the finance? Um, so I think it's it's trying to understand that the whole range of the drivers and finding something that is going to have some resonance in different cultures like in China. I, I don't know the solution, but, I, but that, is, that is a massive one we've got to try and find a solution to. Is there a role for public policy in all of this? I'm not an economist, but I spent most <laughs> of my career working with economists and I've been trained to think, you know, if only you can get the prices right, you'd solve the problem and prices, when prices are out of whack or there's market failures, then of course there's a, a public policy response. But it sounds like we're talking really about uh, a voluntary movement here of helping people realize often that they can save money or make more money and where they can't save money or make more money that there's an ethical dimension to reducing waste. Is there a policy piece of this? I think there is. Um, you can go so far with a sort of nudge 
and um, persuading people. Um, we see some evidence of things like in France where um, they've brought, tried to bring in legislation to make it illegal to actually dispose of of, of waste, food waste from, from retailers, which is, which is a, a helpful step, but it's m maybe not quite the right step to actually solve the problem. But there are, there are policy, um, policy instruments, you know, you could set a requirement for people to actually measure it. You know, if people measure it, then they're going to suddenly realise how much there is. At the moment, an awful lot of people think, it's not a problem for me, I don't waste, mm. I don't waste food. Mm. The vast majority of UK, UK householders, if you still ask them if they waste food, they'll tell you no, they don't. Yet the evidence sitting there, you know, 7.2 million tonnes of it, I'm sorry, you do waste food. Every single householder wastes food. That measurement is an interesting idea. It reminds me of the sort of the smart meter notion where just mm. surfacing the information, which of course can be a policy response, right? Mm. So it wouldn't necessarily be a, a command and control. No. It's an information it's collection and provision. Yeah. You need this information. We want everybody to measure it. Certainly, I think I've reduced my food loss and waste. I think something still gets wasted at my house from time to time. But since I've been aware of this work, and, you know, I, my father was raised in the Depression. I came out of a background where, you know, eat every, you know, morsel of food on your plate. I think mm. many of us did. But, you know, over time, you get a little bit relaxed, and it's the back of the fridge, and suddenly it's spoiled, and you toss it out. But since I've been exposed to this research at WRI, I'm buying less and throwing out less. Yeah, well, that's good, and I think that's that's half of it. It's it's raising the awareness and and letting people understand the implications. Um, but I think going back, you know, fundamentally, measurement is really important. Um, and until you actually see how much you're wasting, you don't realise you are wasting it. Um, it was quite interesting over the last five or so years in the UK, they've been gradually bringing in separate food waste collections, which is great because um, it means that any food that has been wasted doesn't go in in the bin with the, with the rest of the rubbish. It goes into a separate collection and then it gets treated by something like anaerobic digestion and you can get some energy out of it. So it's, it's a good idea. But it is interesting because it means that people suddenly see how much waste they are making mm. and how much food waste they are creating. And if they tip, you know, a container of something, it you know you feel a bit more guilty than if you're just chucking a few tea bags or potato peelings in there. Yeah. Um, what's the intellectual agenda for food loss and waste in WRI? Are there publications that we should be looking towards in the year ahead? Yes. Um, I mean, the the big one that we we've, we've already done is the protocol and the standards. So that that is a a really significant enabler for people to help them to measure in a consistent way because um, that's that's another issue the fact that everyone measures it in a different way so you can't actually add anything up um, so but that protocol will give more consistency but we're doing a, a whole range of other th pieces of work over the over the next year or so um, significant one that's coming up is um, trying to understand the business case so what is the business case for businesses what's the business case for governments um, and can we actually articulate that? Because there is quite a lot of evidence from um, other countries and from companies who have actually started to tackle some of these issues to actually understand, okay, so this does save money. Um, we did a piece of work in the UK with some London boroughs and um, proved that for every pound they spent, um, they saved eight pounds. Every pound they spent on preventing food loss and waste saved them 
eight yeah. pounds. Yeah. This is the government savings. Yes. Because they're not having to dispose of it? They're not disposing of it and they're not paying the tax. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty remarkable saving. Um, Liz, it's so nice to have you on board. Um, I feel very hopeful about this. In the realm of you know development and environment and climate, there's a lot to feel discouraged about. But this looks like a problem we might actually be able to make some serious progress on. I hope so. I've been speaking with Dr. Liz Goodwin. She's a senior fellow and the new director of Food Loss and Waste here at the World Resources Institute. Thanks very much for joining us. Tune in next time for a World Resources Institute podcast.